Hello and welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast, and we're here again for another 90s natter. Um, before we start, apologies if I sound a little bit echoey. Um, I've moved rooms in the house yet, Bob, or house renovations, all that boring crap. Um, but yes, yeah, so apologies. I try and mix it up when I can in, when I'm editing this, but this would have happened already. So if it's a little echoey, sorry for this week. We'll sort it out for, for next time. Um, joining me around my 90s round table. Firstly, he's a man who went to work this week wearing an itchy, scratchy T-shirt. Yes. And how old are you really, Joe Young? How are you doing? 40, 42, right, Young. <laughs> good that, T-shirt, that. That was good. Never too old for itchy and scratchy. No, it's fine, bite, fine, fine, bite. Um, yeah, I quite like that itchy and scratchy T-shirt. It's my, it's my favorite new addition to my wardrobe. It's looking very, uh, very clean, very clean and crisp. It was brand new. Brand you can new. see, yeah, the the the, the, uh, the imagery will fade very quickly. I feel, which is a little bit like my life. Yeah, I, <laughs> I hate white t-shirts because they look all great, and then they slay. I've got a great QPR white t-shirt that's got um, stickers of all. Like classic Panini and Merlin stickers, and I've only worn it once because I don't want to keep washing it. Blah, blah, blah. No one needs to know about my uh, my laundry problems. No, I need to know about your whites. Uh, what, yeah, sort of, uh, what sort of temperature do you? I have no do you idea. Do you do it at a higher temperature? Yeah, see, like, I'm going to sound like a 1950s household person now, but the yeah, the wife normally deals with the washing. Oh, dude, if you got a twin tub in your new house, is that what it is? Yeah, she sort of deals with it because I always get it wrong. I always put the wrong things with the wrong things, so I've been told to leave. Oh, them that's them. what you say. Yeah. Typical. Good tactic, that one. Good tactic. Um, joining us, of course, as always, uh, a man who, in his Instagram profile, looks like a David Beckham-esque model from the 1990s <laughs> in his curtains. How are you doing, Matt? I noticed that earlier. I know. Oh, I'm, I'm amazed it's taken you so long to realise. With this <laughs> black and white picture. Like, he yeah. went down to all that mills and got, got one of the family oh, deals that <laughs> It's quite the pose as well. It's, it's very of, of its era. It was of its era. I mean, it was probably, that was probably, I mean, it wasn't late 90s, it was probably early 2000s, messing around with a digital camera, taking some headshots or some kind of project I had going on at the time and uh, just stumbled across it the other week. You wanted it to be your byline, is that what it was? You wanted, yeah. that, you wanted that picture of yourself with a byline. It, well, it could be. I could change it back now, but I think people might realise I'm a, yeah, a few years old now. Yeah, no, I like it. It's it, it's no, who, who remembers that? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's passed me by that one. That's, that must be before my time. Um, it's it made me think of David Beckham. See, it was his birthday yesterday, which was happy birthday, David Beckham. But I, I he's going to have a rough year, isn't he? Four four two got anything to say about it? Yeah, well, everyone went mental about that four four two, didn't they? But there was I put a lot of pictures up of his classic curtains of that era as well. It made me think. Also, found some pictures. I put this on the Twitter feed of an era where he looked a bit like a geeky Harry Potter, which I never really realised that happened. For someone as, mm. as good looking as David Beckham, but it, it did. Um, same birthday as The Rock as well. It's a good day, isn't it? <laughs> for a respective uh, uh, fandom there, The Rock and David Beckham. Um, we're talking nineties natter this um, this week, and we've got actually we're not bringing to- topics to the table. We're using some questions from one of the listeners. Uh, before we get onto that, there's a couple of Joel. Your question that we did a few weeks ago: bargain buys of the nineties. Um, yes. We did have a couple of replies um, from that as well. I wanted to get back to um, Joe. Just been eating some tater crisps, by the way. We were discussing not there. If anyone remembers, sounds like he still is. Yeah, I've just I've just finished them. Professional, professional. That's what we are. Yeah. Hang on, you tater crisps. Tater crisps, the best crisps in the world. Yeah, they are. Uh, friend of the show, Paddy O'Sullivan swears by them. He said always says they're the best crisps in the world. But yeah, he's right, Paddy. He's right. He is right. Yeah. Um, so um, our friend Andy, who's better known on Twitter as MCFC underscore shirts, 
Um, his top three bargains of the 90s from Manchester City. Andy Morrison, 80k from Huddersfield. Uh, Sean Gota, 400k from Bristol City and scored over 100 goals. That's a pretty good bargain. And Beat the Garden, he will score. Indeed. And Kevin Horlock, who cost 1.5 million from Swindon and made over 200 appearances. So they're, they're pretty I'm, su- I'm surprised Georgie Kinkazi didn't get a mention there. Normally, no, he does. I'm Andy. Yeah, yeah, he loves a bit of King Clans. I don't know how much off the top of my head they didn't. I didn't think they were over the odds for him because he was a bit of an unknown, wasn't he? Well, yeah, that's why I thought he might have been yeah. a bargain buy. But I suppose in terms of longevity, did he, he do as much as yeah. those those other three? Kevin, Hurl, purely, purely for that goal alone, I think he would have been a bargain buy, wouldn't he? It's better than Janino. So many people say, wouldn't they, Joe? Or? So no, Andy says that nobody else, you know, in the world. No one says that. He gets to be with me when I say things like this, but I mean, it's, it's just not even a comparison. Plus, and, and he won't be able to complain about this because it was on the thing about Manchester City that Sky just ran. But Juninho never, um, he always had heart, whereas lots of times Georgie and Gladys couldn't be bothered, and yeah. Juninho never, ever, ever had a game like that for us. Yeah. So uh, I, I think, think on that alone. Yeah, I think I've said this before in here, but if you go back and listen to the interview we did with Paul Walsh, that's all you need to know about Georgie Kinkletsi because he was scathing in his, exactly that, basically, that he put no heart and didn't want to go track back or anything like that. Um, and then you had also one from, where is that, find my notes, um, Daniel Bell at Yo Belza on Twitter. Um, this is Leeds' top three bargains of the 90s. Lucas Radibi, 250k. I think that's pretty impressive since how long. Yeah, very good. He was there for. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was only 2 million. Um, but he wasn't there that long, I suppose. But I suppose he I think he, I think he got two two million a week when he was at the board. Like, yeah, I bet he did. Yeah, fat Eddie Murphy in the end, wasn't he? And um, <laughs> Eric Cantona, nine hundred k. That's good. Yeah, that's. Have I, I told you? Have I told you my Lucas Ragby story? Nelson Mandela. Have I told this before here? I don't. You've told the Mandela story. Don't yeah, well, the... well, it's the same story because um, Lucas Ragby was there, which was quite sort of. He introduced Lucas Ragby and John Snow from Channel Four News introduced Nelson Mandela on, on the stage, which was quite fortuitous, really, that the Leeds United captain was from South Africa at yeah. the time. This, yeah, this is the thing where we're in Leeds, and Nelson Mandela comes out and says, Hello, Liverpool! <laughs> <laughs> One of the great moments of my life. <laughs> oh, bless him. Um, he also has a mention with David O'Leary that cost him nothing, but um, he didn't play much, because he was, he was manager for... And that was surely in the 2000s. Wasn't it? Was he was he assistant manager to George, George Graham? Graham? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he took over, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, so those yeah, so those those bargain buyers. Um, if you yeah, put on Twitter if you've got your free bargain buyers of the nineties at AK nineties, of course. And if you want us to talk about anything in particular on nineties natter, we're kind of moving it slightly, leaving it to you guys. If you want us to talk about stuff which you built today, um, drop us a line on Twitter or on even on Instagram if you want to do it in the old gram. Then you can also look at Matthew's curtains as well, which. It's hilarious, I have to say. Um, right, today's topics are from friend of the show. I think we mentioned him last time, actually. Uh, Paul Clark at Morphy81. He sent us something. Um, his first one was TFI Friday and Don't Forget Your Toothbrush. We, cu- we talked a bit about that last time, didn't we? Um, well, we talked about it. Yeah, because someone claimed it wasn't a game show. We, uh, I completely that forgot. Was yeah, I forgot that it was. I remember watching it and then until you, Joe, outlined what it was all about, then, yeah, I, I completely remember it now. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. We can talk about the football links to TFI Friday were always quite interesting because I think Terry Bembles might have been the first person to sign the desk because that was always a big deal on TFI was Friday. Was Terry Bembles the first person? I think he might have been. I seem to remember him drilling holes in it. Uh, but I seem to remember Terry Bembles being the first person to sign the desk. That might be wrong. 
That might be wrong, but um, it, I, I just I've got that stuck in my head for some reason. And Jarvis Cocker in the background always wore a shirt from I can't remember who it was. Was it was it PSG? It was a French team because the sponsor was French television channel TF. Um, oh, okay. Or, as it looked, it said TFI, you see. Oh, I see. Uh, so it might be PSG, I can't remember. If you want to look that up, we have a TF1 sponsored. Um, and they wore that shirt. So there's quite a lot of football stuff going on. I don't think they ever had that. Uh, obviously, Gascoigne turned yeah. up on it a few times. Um, but uh, things like, did they do the thing where, i tell you what, Chris Evans once played at fullback for Middlesbrough in... <laughs> In the celebrity game before the cup final against Leicester in 1997, I think, and uh, he was absolutely diabolically bad, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> unsurprisingly, and yet when Borough won that game, he danced around like he was Pele with the World Cup. He couldn't have been. Oh, Nobby Styles. Not well, yeah, Nobby Styles as well. Yeah, I've seen Pele dance with the World Cup. You've seen Pele oh, dance with the World Cup. I just want to say something as well, right? <laughs> Messi, Messi this week, yep. 600 goals. Yep. He's, he's, he's the best, right? I mean, yeah. he just is the best, that's yeah. it. Right? But Pelé has meant we've scored over 1,000 goals. I think we can all pretty much agree that that's bollocks now. Can't yeah, but they've never been um, verified. sanctioned or verified, yeah. have they? They've and always been sort of like, yeah. like oh, yeah. in the backyard. Or in the we street. went down the beach and we were yeah. kicking a ball about and I scored 17. Is yeah. that what sort of thing it is? With I that? think so, because like Brazil used to do exhibition matches because that's what they've kind of turned into. And they were yeah, basically and, like the globe. And Santos. Right? Yeah, well, Santos as well when he played at Club yeah. level. So he would, I assume he would have claimed those, but they were... Bizarre games. I mean, they you know they've gone they toured Europe. They, they came here several times and played at Fulham and, and Sheffield Wednesday and what have you. And yeah, it was they were basically paid handsomely to come here and and, and so be, they are, so they were the Harlem Globetrotters of football. Yeah, yeah, it's quite well known. Um, yeah, fact, fact, you know that they yeah they would come uh, for a price. They would pretty much do anything. Yeah, well, keep, it, it. keep it at ninety. Romario claimed that he scored a thousand goals as well, but half of those were like in not sanctioned official matches, more like friendlies and things like that. Like, is this? Is, yeah, but is this the same Romario who went missing for a week and then was was then found like asleep on his floor with a bottle of booze yeah. one hand and a gun in the yeah. other? So you know, I don't know where he could really take him at his words. And who's now a politician, which fits perfectly as well. Yeah, so, well, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you can call it in England for sure. I just go, dear Friday, just go back. The fact that Terry Venables was actually on the show, you can't really imagine that happening now, could you? you can, well, it, don't it fit on the one show on things. Yeah, but the one show. Yeah, yeah there's a big difference. Yeah, it did fit that whole era. I mean, yeah. I liked it Five Friday. I think it was of an age, and, and Joel's probably the same. You know, it was I love brilliant, it, yeah. love brilliant for what it was. Yeah. You know, having a few drinks before you went out, and, or if you were staying in, or more likely if you were going out, that's sort of tea time. That was on Five Friday. Was on at six o'clock on Channel Four. Six, yeah. And it was on at sort of seven sometimes, sometimes half past seven on a Friday. I think I've gone out with it. Yeah, but it was, it, it was perfect. They measured that it, it just got the, the, the sort of feeling of that era perfectly. So, and, and of course, with football sort of being what it was then, so we're coming in, you know, coming to the social psyche more than it ever had. It just went hand in hand with the whole, well, the sort of rock and roll football um, feeling at the time. Of course, you're in 96, and then, I, I think it pissed me off at the time in a way because I remember thinking, yeah. What are you going to do with this? You know, because I hated the way football would have been sort of turned all trendy, and people were turning up in football shirts that couldn't even name the team and all that kind of stuff. Stuff that now is just <laughs> everyone, everyone just accepts it now. But back then, it was just on that cusp of 
three or four years earlier, nobody would have even admitted they liked football, and then suddenly it was like everyone was, you know, claiming to have been the, be the biggest like, fan. Like the Arsenal man on um, the fast show. Oh, yeah. 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 Two of basket. Yeah, I do. Football. Football. Yeah. You know what was filmed, Matthew? Those sketches, the uh, Arsenal man. I don't know. Oh, they were still filmed at uh, Middlesbrough's Riverside Stadium, those Arsenal man catches. Well, well, even it, even more reason not to knock it down. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I was just hey, mate, we're in with the show for the playoffs, yet. Yeah? It could be a happy oh, season. Well, you're going to put that all down to the new stadium, are you? Yeah, absolutely. 20... Yeah. Well, that's said about that place are better. Did you, did you like the picture of me the other day from Ayrson Park? I know yeah, because it made me realise how great Ayrson Park was and how you could look at Ayrson Park and think it was so different from every other stadium. And then you move to a state a ground that looks like every other stadium. So, you know, no, I didn't enjoy first week. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was just googling um, TFI Friday. Sorry, that's why I went a bit quiet there. Um, um, Terry Venables. He was on twice actually in the nineties. Um, one episode with Ben Elwin and the Cardigans, which is so nineties. I love it. Yeah, it's um, very good. And the other episode with Victoria Adams. So I don't know why she was on her own. Uh, Jack D and Supergrass. Oh, that's that, now, that's, that's a, just a what, what dates are those? Does it give, does it give the uh, date to the year? The first one is hang on, uh, September 20th, 1996. That would in post year 96. So that's just after year 96, yeah. And the second one, oh, that's quite late. Oh, hang on, it's coming up now. Um, blah, 28th of May, 99. That was just. It was just about leaving, then he threw the yeah, album. Yeah, it was going a bit passionate by then, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think Reef would have stopped singing It's Your Letters by that point, wouldn't they, I suppose? <laughs> um, but I wasn't was really going to talk about that, but yeah, it's good that you found some football links to that show, because he was, yeah, he yeah. was mad for you in 96 as well. He, yeah, I mean, it's just like Matthew says, he was sort of jumping onto the bandwagon a bit. I think he, I think he kind of admits that now, that he was really interested, but he was caught up in the moment that. And obviously, you've got Danny Baker, who was writing. The vast majority of that show, he was obviously an enormous football fan, so there was there was stuff getting sneaked um, through and references. In, in his defence, I will say Chris Evans has always been brilliant at gauging popular yeah. opinion and, nice. and jumping on it. And I'm not that isn't a criticism. I like him a lot. I've always liked his TV shows and his radio shows. It's just it, it was just at that time if you wanted to tap into something that was hugely popular and uh, of a of a time, it was Premier League football, as we know. That's not a shortcut. Yeah. To that's why we're sitting here talking about it now, what, 26, seven, eight years on or whatever. Was there any so. other football players on it that actually you could see in that guest list? Was anybody jumping out? Well, I remember I've Les Ferdinand being on. I'll, I've only Googled Terry Venables, but um, yeah, there must have been. I kind of feel like I saw it in the back of my head somewhere that they were on. Um, let's have a quick Google. There's nothing coming up. Lewis, oh, that happened when it came back when they had Lewis Hamilton on it, who's not a footballer, obviously. Um, yes. No, we'll have to, have to look into that. Oh, there's a great picture of Denise Van Aten. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll look into that. Yeah, because there must have been. I'm sure there must have been. Desmond Lydon was on April 19th, 1996. Oh, there you go. You've got a Des on then. There was a great... Yeah. I saw a tweet. Jack Charlton and George Best were both on God. June the 7th, Bloody 1996. Hell. George Best was on again the week after. Oh, I bet the right. I know he was, yeah. Yeah. After that. <laughs> then we've got the Terry Venables edition. Uh, Ruth Wallace was on, 4th of October 1996. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was quite a lot of sort of football people on. 
uh, at that point. So yeah, uh, that's so it might be worth. There's loads of them on YouTube because there's been a few times where I've been on to stay up all night and just watch them on YouTube. <laughs> there's full episodes there, so that's kind of worth um, having a look at. That's your cup of. Charles. Paul Merson was on. 7th March 1997. Of course Paul Merson was. Elvino did flow again. (laughs) Chris Waddle. So yeah, there was lots of football-y people on there, yeah. John Barnes, Desmond Lineham again. I bet John Uh, Barnes did a rap. I bet he did do John Barnes rap. Which he's allowed to do. I have no problem. Everyone who goes, oh, groans. If I did that rap as, as good as that, I'd be doing it every day of my life as well, so... There was an edition with both Jimmy Nail and Peter Beatsley on, which seems a bit Jody Mafia. Very Very Jody. Jimmy Nail. Jimmy Nail, he's very much at the Les Birdman was on. Yes. So get in. November 14th, 1997. All we do is just... This this podcast should be renamed Let's Go Through Lists. Let's Go Through Lists. 97, so he'd have been at Newcastle then, wouldn't he? Yeah, Yeah, Alan Hansen, Paul Gascoigne. It's all happening. It's all happening. Yeah, right. So there was a lot of footballers on TFI Friday, so there you go, Paul. Um, Yeah, let's move on to talk about football shirts, because that's a thing I can do all day. But this isn't a look. Well, it is a look, but it's not a a, uh, design of football shirts. We may talk a bit about that on the next show. But Paul has asked, when 90s football shirts went oversized, which is kind of a thing that you just kind of accept at the time, but I guess it was like fashion in general because it goes in cycles football kids try to mirror don't they whatever's trying to there's always this oh you can wear it down the pub nonsense that football companies and sportswear uh, designers try to give you and I was trying they try to mirror what was going on at the time did you guys have some baggy football shirts at the, uh, this type of uh, era um, I think that's the last ever United kit I bought was the, the bootlace one which you uh, you, you obviously love and I went to and that was quite baggy I must admit but I went to Mark Hughes' testimonial and got drunk with a load of Glaswegians and for some reason you know the testimonials everyone gets all over promotion on so I said oh let's all swap shirts and I swapped that bootlay shirt with the uh, Celtic uh, 94 kit and it was like a 5XL it was <laughs> huge I could have I could have lived in it it was that big and I was sort of a bit gutted because I you know obviously Swap my last Ebby United shirt for this Celtic shirt that I couldn't wear. I mean, it was kits were baggy back then, but this one was just it, it was it was too big to even be baggy. It was like wearing a wearing a duvet. It was that big, but so, <laughs> kits were baggy because life like clothes were baggy, weren't they? That was the especially the mid nineties. The music was baggy. Everything was just massive. You had you know your big kind of cargo pants. The, the it wasn't quite boot cut jeans because that was more two thousands. But you had your big jeans. The t-shirts were oversized, you know, your bucket hat was oversized. It just reflected... Joe, I'm sure you had some baggy music clothes as well as football shirts. I know, I know. Yeah, I still got all that, yeah. But, like, yeah, all the baggy stuff, yeah, because you are right what you say, like, it was reflecting the times. And obviously the Stone Roses happened one day at the end of the decade. That was all, you know, I had had players that were just ridiculous, you know, players that sort of... Bell bottoms that started at, at, at thirty ways that my hips and sort of went out to did, about. Did the back of the did the back of the leg, uh, you know, sort of wear away where it was? Yes, yeah, on, absolutely, yeah. and yeah. wet in, in the yeah. wet. Like the next thing you know, it was you were wet up to your knees because of your jeans hanging in the uh, yeah. yeah yeah yeah. I remember that feeling well. Oh, well, I, go on, go so on, I, I was, was going to say this whole thing of sort of football shirts mirroring society, which I think you're right. But do you think those days are over now? Because do you think there's so much emphasis on 
sports science and performance and everything that the sort of skin tight shirts I mean I don't know the sort of current mode of football shirts is tight but is that because that's something in society or is that just because people think no it's best to have that than tight so players can't grab hold of them or there's not they're not hindering players that run I mean yeah I think at the moment it's uh, it, it's a happy coincidence that people want properly tailored yeah. stuff you know everyone's got everyone's got to fit well but I also think that it has the, the the sport advantage but we'll probably stick with them because people will dress more like Athletes, you know, yeah, but, but in, as you know, things go in cycles massively. And in 10 years' time, if Baggy is back, I mean, not even baggy 10 years, I mean, two years, if Baggy's back, do you think suddenly football shirts will go baggy? I don't think I, they will. I, don't, I, think yeah, it's, I think we've passed the point. I think where we are now with football in terms of sports science, and especially football kits, because when a new kit comes out, I, mean, I have to read all the gump for Kick Magazine. I've done it this week for the new Liverpool and the new Chelsea shirts. That Chelsea kit is horrible. It's kind of 90s, though. If you look back at a Chelsea kit, 91-92, they had the kind of the same pattern. It wasn't quite as... Uh, it's more deep into the kit rather than c- c- part of the design. Have you seen this a Chelsea kit, Matthew? It's got bits of Stamford Bridge plastered all over it. I haven't. I've seen the Liverpool one, which I think is quite smart, but I haven't seen the yeah, Chelsea one. I don't like bits with, without seeing it. It reminds me of that United '96 one with a sort of back print of Old Trafford, which I thought looked really tacky. Yeah, well, it's um, worse than that because it's not even a proper picture. You wouldn't actually know that it's a bit it's of like a, bits of stanchion. Yeah, bits it's, of, uh, it's a bit of a. It's, Essentially, a blue shirt. They just if they had those huge garments from the early nineties, no, back then, that would be really. Yeah, I don't think they yeah. made the cut at all. Um, but yeah, they always have all the you know the tech details and stuff. And I mean, people do, as Joel said, like the slimline. Although you see in Top Man now, and I've seen some of the kids wearing those t-shirts that are way too long and going below the oversized knee. t-shirts yeah. coming in. But I don't think we'll see that in football, which doesn't really make sense. I always think that are baggy shirts in the nineties. It's like I always again, I have the image of Nino, maybe because he was tiny anyway. But his shirt used yeah. to just there was his sleeves were huge. He's like yeah, bingo wings. But it <laughs> maybe it don't say that about Juninho. Yeah, I know, but surely it made no sense because it made grabbing shirts even. Well, less. ask um, ask the Leicester player that marked him out of that game. Who was it again? Pontius. Pontius came out. Maybe he was grabbing hold of his shirt. That's I why he must have been the, the only game. way. It's the only way to stop Juninho. But yeah, it must being fair to Pontius Camark, I don't think he was grabbing his shirt. He just wouldn't let him get more than three inches away. Yeah. But surely it made no, it clearly happened, and we all had them. I was where I actually I was playing football on Monday night. Well, I say playing, walking around a football pitch, trying not to hurt myself. And I was wearing a 90s kit and it was thick and baggy. And I was like, how did people used to play in these shirts? Because they... It was, but it wasn't happening. Well, now you're sounding like... You know, like when people talk about football players in the 50s where they had to wear woolen... Yeah. Just yeah. like running yeah. around in a woolen jumper <laughs> and, a, and a pair of woolen shorts. That's the second time today you sounded like a man from the 50s. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. I have to say that he gets his wife to do all his washing and <laughs> ironing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Ironing? Don't, don't make see much ironing in my house. No, it was a it was the England the third kit from ninety two which I love with the three massive lions on it. That's what I was wearing. Oh yeah, yeah. The but blue yeah, one. The blue one, yeah, that's what I was wearing. But yeah, it was baggy. And I always say about the you know, my favourite shirt, here, get your bingo cards, the USA ninety four shirt, that's the, that's so thick, so I don't think they could ever go back to that because I can't imagine them playing in it now. I mean, there for the current ones you can buy a really expensive replica or a what they call yeah. Which is like what the players wear, or a slightly less expensive replica, which is slightly for is, is not quite as athletic, yeah, technology savvy. Um, so there is a slight difference between on-field shirts and on-street on wear, but 
you know, Chelsea's kit is launched by influencers as well, so you kind of got that element in it. So they try and make them kind of cool. All the training wear is part of it now. I just got an email this morning about the new Liverpool training wear. So it is very different. I can't see it changing even if society does go down the baggy route or we continue with these oversized T-shirts. But, yeah, 90s shirts did go very baggy for a while. And I'd, I'd like to see some of those 90s shirts slim down and see what they'd actually look like on today's sort of... Because they probably look a little bit better. I don't know. Have you, what is that horrible Manchester City training kit all about? Uh, what the one that Nike put together? The one that Nike put together of every single yeah. Manchester City away it's, kit. It's something they do usually. Well, I, think I think it's a marketing ploy. I think that's exactly what yeah, it is. Yeah, of course it is. But it's all that they usually do it when there's like an anniversary of how long they've been supplying their kits. So they did it for Barcelona. I think they did it for Arsenal. But because uh, Man City are now moving to Puma for the 20. 19-20 season. Are they really, guys? I didn't know that. Yeah, so they've decided to... I think they've only been with them, what, was it four or five years? City and Nike, and they've done a mock-up, which is stupid, because most of the City Nike kits have been pretty boring anyway. So, yeah, and it's just a, yeah, it's a marketing ploy to buy another shirt. But, yeah, they'll be their new shirt will be Puma, so we won't see that until... They're going to look like Lazio, aren't they, with Puma? Uh, Lazio's still got... Yeah, I think they have, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, which is nice. Lazio always got nice, lovely kits, yeah. Well, you got Arsenal going to Adidas, and I've seen those kits, and yes, people will be very, very pleased. Well, they're good. That I can't. Yeah, I've been embargoed, so I can't say too much. Um, but they are. They will please. I think they will please. Most of the retro lovers will be pleased, but I think they will say they could have gone a bit more on the away kit. I think that's the. Are they only sponsored by JVC? No, they're not sponsored by JVC. Although I've just got a new telly for the uh, playroom, and that's JVC, and that made me feel quite happy when I turned it on and I saw JVC. It's oh, 90s. <laughs> Um, that it's is, up for grabs now! It's up for grabs now. Well, it is, we're recording this on the 3rd of May and it's 21 years since Would You Believe It from Tony Adams from that uh, last day, uh, the double season in 1998. So um, We're going to go a bit before that now and this is very much Matthew's remit, although I had some great fun watching back some of these matches earlier on and, and last night. Uh, Paul was also asked to talk about the best live matches on ITV's, in brackets, the match, or, or the big match as it was called, um, a little context in history for the, the big match. It was it went and ran from the 60s and 70s and all through the 80s, um, but didn't really show live games till later on. And it was from kind of 1988 till they lost the TV coverage in 1992 that we got live games. Matthew, you know, best pals, BFF with Elton Wellesby. This is your this is your moment. This is your time to shine. You love the big match, don't you? Yeah, well, not, it's not the big match. It's called the match. Yeah. Um, and talking about programs now, I mean that's one of the you know one of those moments. But yeah, like you said, football football before '88 was very much hit and miss. I mean, there had there'd been fallouts, there'd been blackouts. The '85, '86 season, I think there were only six live games, none before Christmas, and that included the cup final because the chairman had fallen out with the TV company. So we had no no live football before Christmas. We had very little before that. I mean, quite often there would only be the cup finals live or the odd England Scotland game, the odd. League game, and then um, ITV came along in '88 and bought the rights for the what was then the first division. I, th- I, I shouldn't have was done that. The Cannon League, then, or was it the Today League? Or? Yeah, no, it was the Barclays League, Barclays First Division. I think. Yeah, okay. um, it was all those before that. I think because it, it was the Today League, the Cannon League, and then it went to be the Barclays First Division. And then ITV bought the exclusive rights. So I think they had 20 live games a season. I think they bought the rights for something ridiculous, like. 50 million quid or something, you know, an absolute snip. But what it did do, and what I've written about many times, and I've said on this program before, it just sort of, it rebranded live football, I think, more than people really 
give it credit for. I mean, everyone gives credit to Sky for reinventing football, but I really think the match was a, a precursor to that. Well, I, ITV originally, I mean, the plan for the Premier League was devised by, um, I think, the, the big five at the time, which yeah. is uh, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United, um, Arsenal and Tottenham, is it? Everton, I think. Yeah, Everton. Everton as well. Yeah, um, and and that was it was a plan sort of initially cooked up between them, and and that's where the Alan Sugar you've got to blow them out with the ball. Yeah, but I think the match was sort of almost the foundation for what they thought would be when the TV deal was renewed. It would just carry on, and it would probably be bigger and better. And then if the Premier League you know, did come in, which it did, um, it would. That, I think they thought it was the, the perfect vehicle for the. Which I mean, I think. In a way, it was because at the time we didn't know about um, we didn't know about satellite or cable television. I mean, stuff was just on, apart from wrestling, really, and, and the odd cup game. Things were on terrestrial TV. So I think right, hold on, hold on. I've just got Greg Dyke's book out from my bookcase, and I've just found I've bizarrely opened it up at this page, and he says. Um, this is when he was in charge of LWT. Uh, by the autumn of 1991, it was time to talk about the next football deal. Trevor East, David Dean and I decided another dinner between ITV and the Big Five Clubs was called for. We fixed the dinner and I offered to host it in London, in the hospitality suite on the 18th floor of the LWT building on the South Bank. Many have claimed they were architects of the Premier League, but when the official history of the league is written, this dinner meeting will surely be the time and the place at which it became a reality. So there you go. So what it was yeah. always ITV doing it, wanting to do it with the with the big clubs, and then uh, Sky jumped in, and you know. But I think that's how ambitious ITV were. I mean, ITV get a bit of a bad. People sort of mock ITV Sport now, you know, particularly in the sort of mid late nineties with the ninety four World Cup coverage and what have you. Everyone thinks it's a bit tacky, and everyone seems to adore everything the BBC does. But I've always defended ITV because I think they've always they've always sort of pushed the boundaries. They've always had time and, and with sort of advertising and you know they're, they're well, having... they will try things but the the very nature of ITV is if it costs them money at any point or bad press then they're going to bin it without a moment's notice and you can yeah, see that in the experiment yeah but that's their product I mean the BBC I mean it's a debate we could have all day but the BBC have got the luxury of not really having to worry about that because they're getting basically taxpayers money whether the, you know whether we like it or not whereas with ITV they're selling a product so if it works it works and it doesn't it doesn't but they have to they have to make a product that people like in order to make money. So I think that's why they've always been quite revolutionary with their coverage. And the match was certainly revolutionary. I mean, I've said this loads of times on this show. But, you know, the way they, they didn't just get live football and say, right, we're going to start the programme at five to three, show the match and then finish. I mean, they had a, an element of a build-up and it was only probably about half an hour. They had... That's what I was going to say. They kind of Sky took this blueprint, didn't they, and ran with it? Yeah, and they just had more time. But they had yeah. they had guests in the studio, different ones week to week, depending on the map, what game it was. They had they showed highlights of the day before's goals, which you'd never seen before because we just didn't have that that facility. They put cameras in the goal net, so you could see you know these different angles. You could you could ring in and vote for the amount of the match. You could buy the match day program in your local corner shop, which right, I know nice. you did. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I do harp on about it because I know it's an era I'm very fond of. But even now, looking back on it, I think they've really gone to town on this, and they've and they've introduced live football to a, obviously an audience that was still hungry for football. But they made it they made it really watchable and, and um, easy on the eye. It was just a, it, it made football sort of like a magazine show, the live broadcast anyway. And it just all it just tied a lot of things together that before. I mean, a few seasons before this, you'd have one game on BBC and then you'd have nothing for about three weeks. 
then you'd have one game on ITV, then you'd have one game on the, you know, and there was no sort of, you know, it, it just brought everything to the, to, together and to the table, and you had your your regular presenter now in Wellesby, you had your regular commentary team. I mean, now we're so used to commentary teams, commentary duos, com- uh, anchor men, which Richard Keyes, you know, Richard Keyes became the new Elton Wellesby, really, yeah, when, even, when Sky yeah. took took over so it, it took a lot from the sort of American broadcasting I think you know that thing of presenting all about presentation all about professionalism and the product and not just you watch old clips of eight, uh, football live games from the 80s if you can find any and they're just they basically quick. cut straight to Jimmy Hill on the gantry and then go to the game and then when the game finishes it's off to songs of praise or whatever and although the match was still limited by time and budget and what have you. I think they did a lot with what they had to work with, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think also graphics-wise. I was looking at it earlier, and you yeah. forget about, you know, some, okay, Sky invented the score in the top corner. That will give them that. But um, ITV, the match, did things like when they read out the teams, they didn't just show the teams. They had the pictures in the top corner yeah. that used to flip around. like They looked like little pogs, uh, little like we yeah. had later <laughs> in the 90s. They used to flip around the pictures and stuff. And that was something yeah. Sky obviously then took on, and now you see the you know the ridiculous how we get it with the wall cons and, and things like that. But that all started for me when watching ITV. Yeah, and that was, I mean, as you remember, I thought it was astonishing. I mean, the first ever of the match was United Everton versus United, October '88, one finish, one one. And I remember being absolutely amazed at what I was seeing because before this, like I say, you turn the TV on, and it was just basically football would just start, and that was it. You didn't really get any insight. But to have this sort of Broadcast that was on, which what seemed to be most of the afternoon, and it had post-match interviews, and it had analysis, and it had all this content that you would say these days. I was absolutely in my element, and, it, and it, I just think it got better and better from the first one. And I mean, ideally for the match, it, the first season that they broadcast, it was to me and still is the greatest English top-flight season there ever was. I mean, for for everything, the the, the title running, the drama, the Excitement, and, and they had the final game of the season on a Friday night live. Two teams fighting for the um, title, which still to this day, Sky have never been able to no, match. Which even you know, they're saying they're saying this season's one of the most dramatic title run-ins in years. Well, is it? I mean, it's basically just two teams. This season one was good. The Aguero one. Yeah, but it wasn't the right. It wasn't two. It wasn't United and City playing each other on the last game of the season. And you can say, final, yeah. you know. Sky would love that. I mean, how they oh haven't got Jerry Nandy that, that, that happened. God, um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, that, to me, you, you can argue all day long, but Sky will never, well, they could, I mean, it could happen, but, I mean, to this day, Sky have never equaled what happened on the 29th of May, 1989, yeah. which was one of my, one of my, on my list of one of my favourite games ever on the match. Yeah, Answering the question, which I don't think anyone could disagree. I mean, the first I was looking because there's a great website (laughs) I found that lists literally every game ever shown on the match. So it's really interesting going because I remember looking through this because I remember watching that one as well. I mean, the first '90s game, so the first of January, New Year's Day. 1990 was Nottingham Forest 2 Liverpool 2 yeah you can remember that one um, there, the, the ones I remember are the big Man United Liverpool clashes I always remember them because I think there was probably more hype around them and um, the, the games weren't great though there was a nil nil in 91-92 I think um, yeah that was when uh, Hughes got sent off and yeah, uh, yeah. Gary, um, Dave Barra, no, Gary Amblin got sent off I think uh, at that game I mean I, I'm, I'm cheating slightly because it's not um Obviously not nineties, but yeah, the, I've got the Arsenal. It's up for grabs now. I'm the Liverpool United three, Liverpool one, 
New Year's Day '89 again, not '90s, but that was a great, that was a great live game. I'm not sure if you remember it, but um, well, if you're talking New Year's Day, Matthew, and I have to mention it because it was on the match, and it's the only, I think it's the only one QPR were actually on, I think, and it's obviously the the famous Man United one, Queens Park Rangers four. Yeah, the ITV loved the New Year's. Well, the yeah. match loved the New Year's Day game, didn't they? I mean, I know they were only running for two or three years. They only had well three or four, but I mean, they always they always seem to be so memorable those New Year's Day games. They just because I suppose at that age you're probably dead bored on New Year's Day. There's nothing going on, and the fact there was a live game on was just massive. So uh, yeah, and that I can't remember what happened that that game. What, what happened in that one? Well, Dennis Bailey's hat trick. Oh yeah, that was yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, good old Dennis Bailey. Um, Joe, have you got any memories from the match? I'm going to cheat a bit. Go on, cheat. Um, regional variations there on. Uh, because did you, we had um, the Time Tees match. Uh, of which, course, yeah. Yeah, which, and they did, and having looked into it just now, there was the Granada match and the LWT match and blah, 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 blah. And uh, I think the season, the 94 95 season, when uh, Newcastle were in the Premier League, I think Sunderland might have been up there as well. But. Um, it seemed to be very, very, very borough-centric. We seemed to be on sort of every Sunday or every other Sunday, at least. With the, and I remember the game against Port Vale, who, when, when we won, Brian Robson scored his one and only goal for the borough. And uh, I think we played, I think 17th of April, I don't know why that's springing into my head, but 17th of April, 1995, I seem to remember us playing Sheffield United at home and Jan Fjord scoring and then getting sent off for getting into a punch-up and that was live on telly today to the release to count in terms of the original yeah this was obviously after ICD lost this would have been first division wouldn't it yeah Yeah, they had NC League didn't they they had the league which was just as entertaining about it wasn't it funny we've talked about uh, NC League extra and all that but then you think that was really peculiar that that was snuck away in the middle of the night at like one two in the morning and it's and, and you look at what Sky do now for Championship games. Yes, yeah, essentially it's second Friday too. Yeah, second tier football, and it's yeah. and it's put on at two in the morning. I used to love watching it; it was great. But um, yeah, now we think it. Then ITV went completely the other way and totally overestimated, you know, Division One, Division Two, Division Three football by spending millions and millions on it and bankrupting their own digital yeah. service in the process. Well, it's like yeah. now it's on a channel that no one even knows exists on Quest, doesn't it? On Quest, like yeah, yeah. It's actually not a bad yeah. show. It's just on such a random channel one of the other games I really remember because as a kid it really confused me um, they showed the Makita tournament which was a pre-season tournament uh, post Italian 90 and Arsenal played Sampdoria and at yeah. the time I just couldn't understand why this was happening because it was just bizarre to me that it, Arsenal were playing an Italian team and I just remember I can still steal myself in my living room asking my dad uh, Arsenal were wearing that yellow kit and he was like why are they playing Sampdoria I don't really understand so that always sticks out for me um, the programme I've got is from Southampton, Liverpool, which I think is 1st of April 1991, which uh, Leticia, that's the, I've got a lot of them, but I always remember buying that one from the news agents. Um, but yeah. Do you remember the theme tune, Matthew? I was Googling that earlier. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, a nice little piece yeah, of... Yeah, I mean, it's stuck in a room, really. I can't sing because it didn't have any... No, it's cool. It's cool. It goes like this, actually. Yeah, so it's called Goal Crazy um, by Rod Arjun. That was the, the tune for the live show, for the match live show um, from 88 to 92. When they lost the rights, they went to a highlight show, although they then still had League Cup 
European stuff and obviously all the international stuff. And they introduced arguably the greatest theme tune of all time. Here it is. You are the number one. What a tune! Well, I think we loved that. Again, being, I wouldn't say revolutionary, but, you know, pushing the boundaries. They loved a sort of a, a new theme tune. I mean, obviously you had Aztec Gold for the 86 World Cup, which they, yeah. they milled for years after that. But then you had the match, and then you had You Are the Number One. And then, do you remember that you rolled out it again in the 1990 World Cup for the uh, Italy 90 coverage? Yeah. It's another roll out classic, which was a... Which was a Another classic, everyone, I think we've spoken about this before, everyone always remembers the BBC coverage of Ness and Dorma, but the ITV intro and the music and the graphics, I mean, to me, bring back as much memories of that tournament as anything. I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic and massively underrated. Again, poor old ITV, I always seem to, always the bridesmaids and all that. But um, I like the logos as well, the old red and black. Yeah, I quite like that as well, with the big M, you know. Yeah, it was branding, wasn't it? I mean, you call it nowadays, you'd say it's been rebranded. I mean, they didn't really say that at the time. It, it was exactly that. It was the same product, essentially. I mean, it wasn't like when the Premier League came on, although when the Premier League came on, it was the same product. But, you know, it was still the same first division football, but they just said, right, what are we going to do? Right, we'll put it on every Sunday at 3 o'clock, or whatever it was, and we're going to have your standard. You're going to make, have a household name for presenting it. You're going to have this, this, this. You're going to have a catchy theme sheet, and we're going to make a, a, a good presentation out of it. And I think, like we said, and I'll say again, they, they set the benchmark, which we now take for granted. But if you compare this to like a live game from 1985 or 80, whatever, it was just a million miles away. Mm. Yeah, it's a great European night as well. The Villa games against Inter Milan and the Montpellier Man United, I remember watching as well. Yeah, Gary yeah, Lineker, yeah. part of the team as well. He was co-commentator for a lot of that in the early 90s. Um, but yeah, we were big fans. Thank you, Paul, for of uh, ITV's the match on here. And obviously, friend of the show, Elton Wellsby, he's been on a couple of times. Go back in the archive and listen to that. Uh, before we go, our final uh, little subject that Paul wanted us to talk about, um, football on teletext. Now, for somebody who, who's listening to this in 2019, who's never even heard of teletext, who just won't understand what teletext was, because it... Joe, does Teletext exist? It's gone, isn't it? You can't get Teletext anymore. Yeah, you can get a sort of strange version of it. Obviously, it's there on the red button on um, on a few channels. The BBC, obviously, still. Yeah, you can get racing results and football results, and you might have it. Yeah, yeah. Look like Teletext. Yeah. and obviously Teletext holidays sponsor Sheffield United. Good old Teletext holidays, they're still going. But you know, before there was Jeff and Soccer Saturday or whatever the BBC version was called, the only way before we had phones as well, where we just look at the Sky Sports app, we could find out the latest football scores before final score in the video printer, was by going on Teletext, waiting for, what was BBC, page 302, the football, I think? 302, and it was, was yeah. 140 on Teletext. Yeah. On ITV's uh, version. So, yeah, and that's how we did it. And if your team wasn't on the first page, you had to sit there and wait and wait and wait until page two came on. And then, oh, no, we're not there because Sanso had scored and, and stuff. It was... I kind of miss it, kind of not, kind of not knowing the scores. Well, here's a question for you. I remember it well from more the late eighties than because by the time the nineties came along, surely most people would be following either. I'm not saying everyone had Sky, but a lot of people had access to it. And um, but Sky Soccer I, Saturday didn't start until at least the late nineties. 
It was yeah, yeah. mid nineties. They did yeah, this show called Sports Saturday, which then turned yeah. into Soccer Saturday with yeah. um, George, George Best and Rodney Marsh. Marsh, yeah. and Marsh yeah. you know, I mean, that was that was. I remember that being about mid nineties, definitely. But I'm just trying to think of. I was trying to think of games that I followed in the nineties on Teletext. I mean, the ninety one ninety two season that United famously threw away the league. I remember quite a few games then following on Teletext because as much as I've just been lauding. The maps, they didn't have every game. I mean, they had 20 live games, which really isn't a lot. So, I mean, it's probably like one, not less than one a week. So, in a running of a season, you've obviously got lots of midweek games and games in hand, what have you. And I remember following a lot of games on Teletext then. But I just seem to remember, as soon as the 90s came on, it just, I don't really remember using it. I just, I just seem to remember um, whatever the incarnation of Soccer Saturday was. I mean, it's not like it is now, obviously, but... Um, I was just 90, curious to know. Yeah, 94, Jeff Sterling took over, and then it, it, it came Soccer Saturday in 98. Oh, that's earlier than I ever thought it was. Yeah, I remember it, I remember it being on in the pub before going to games, and they, you know, it seemed to be on from about 11 o'clock in the morning. But um, No, I just to me, it was much more of a sort of late 80s thing, because, I don't know, I just seemed to have a little bit more access to football by the, by the time the 90s came along. But, um, Maybe I remember the early 90s, that's what I, before, you know, because we didn't have Sky until sort of 93, 94, so maybe that first formative years that I remember is going on Teletext. And even then, I think because you were, I wasn't aware of this programme existed, I always, that was the go-to thing, you'd get in, either you'd been in a game or I'd play football that Saturday morning and you'd turn on the TV, go to Teletext, see how QPR are doing, if we weren't listening to it on the radio, that is. That was kind of the thing, but now you can... I don't know, do you Every that? time I put the football news on, on Teletext, it seemed to be some sort of Neil Lennon Beatles joke. Lennon says, let it be to you contract. <laughs> Lennon <laughs> sent off says, give Pete a chance. I mean, it's always seemed to be that because there is a real skill to write in those. Well, stuff. I bet there is. The best, the best one was when uh, Julian Dix was um, injured at Liverpool. He, he came back from a layoff and the headline was, Dix out to prove fitness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's classic. That I mean, I whoever wrote that must have couldn't believe that they got that through. But. What it teaches you, I've got friends who've done stuff in teletext, and it teaches you how to write a story in three long sentences. Yeah. And and, and that's across news, that's across sport, that's across everything. And and they and, and still, I think if you look at the BBC website, I, I think I think if you look at the first three paragraphs of the story, they're always written like that to try to compress it yeah. into that, and then they can expand it. So I think the same stories are used across what is the Teletext service now? I mean, I was going to say, I mean, as much as we kind of mock and go, oh, do you remember Teletext? But in terms of the principle of it, it's not really a lot different. I mean, we don't see the games on a Saturday. Well, we shouldn't, but I mean, many of us do. But I mean, we don't see them as a rule. We basically sit and watch television and watch live Teletext, or, you know, some of them reading out football school. So that hasn't really changed. Or even your Sky Sports app, which is literally... Teletext. teletext in your hand. Yeah. I mean, the, the website is basically, say the BBC News website is essentially... A teletext service. I mean, it's, it's like Joel says, it's a snippet of news, it's transfer news, it's, and you know, come deadline, they were watching it as we were on teletext. So, really, as much as it, the only thing that's different really is we, we don't have to do it through an old fashioned television that was about, that weighed about, you know, a ton that was sat in the corner of the room. <laughs> but the principle of it is is still there, I think. Mm. Yeah, I'd absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I did kind of miss not knowing the scores though. Have you ever done that thing on, on match of the day, not knowing the scores, and then watched match of the day? Yeah, the, the likely lads scenario. Yeah, have you ever done that? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then then was really disappointed. <laughs> I was like, why did I do that? I might as well. Yeah. What I used to do when I was very nervous, I remember that 
run into the first season United won the league and they were going going head to head with Villa. And say United had won and then Villa played in the week, I would go out and go for a long walk. So I wouldn't listen to it, I wouldn't to the bookies, you know, do anything. Yeah, maybe well they'd probably close them, but um, and I would just you know go and have a long walk around and then I'd come back and go, What happened? And ultimately, you know, the dad would say, Oh, Villa won or whatever. It was just one of those stupid yeah. almost superstitious things that you think, but if I'm not watching it, um, it won't happen. And, and funnily, yeah. enough, funnily enough, that the last time I did that was the Aguero goal. I was at my mate's wedding in Spain, and it came to the last day of the season. I remember thinking, well, it's not going to happen because City are going to beat QPR, and it's all done and dusted. And of course, when it was 2-1, and what was happening, I could see the clock ticking away, and I thought, I'm going to go for a walk. And it was 90 minutes on the clock, and I walked around the golf course in blazing hot sun. Mm-hmm. And I, I walked around the golf course for about 10 minutes, and I thought, right, by the time I walk back to the pub, it'll all be over. And I walked back just as the whole pub was spilling out onto the street and everyone was in shock. And I, thought, I remember going up to this guy going, what happened, what happened? And I, and I remember looking at me going, what do you mean what happened? I was like, well, no, what happened, what happened? <laughs> he, he had to try and explain to me. and I, So I've never done it since because I thought, well, it really doesn't make any difference. But that was the closest I've ever done to sort of avoiding a score, but then not watching it on match today, but then just someone telling you, you know, whether it's good or bad news. So I can't, I've got no yeah. willpower. I'm the same with like wrestling spoilers, Joe. It's like, I just kind of just want to know. I, I would really wish I yeah, had I do. the yeah. power just to be like, right, I don't need to know the scores. But I, yeah, and I don't think you can avoid them now with social media, obviously. Like if you're constantly on Twitter and stuff, there's no way you're going to um, avoid anything. But yeah, I mean, maybe it's a challenge I should do to try, try and do myself next season. Do you think that, do you think the BBC, when it comes to their news bulletin on a Saturday night, do you think they have feel that it's traditional to say if you don't want to know the scores? I mean, I think there are people. My dad, my dad, sort of. I think it's maybe an older generation yeah. thing. I think, I think, uh, you know, probably like the next generation up from us probably still do that. I think we will have we sort of tech savvy enough to have watched stuff on Sky or stuff on apps or yeah. blah 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 blah. Uh, but I think, I think there is a, a I think probably people. You know, I, I don't think there'd be many under 50, let's say. No, they don't leave enough time in that as well. I always think they say, leave the room now, and then they go, yeah. within a breath. Especially, especially in your house, Ash, because, you know, it's taking you about half an hour to leave your drawing room. Yeah, very <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. My, dad, my dad used to go absolutely ballistic if he'd be watching. If he was waiting for match of the day and he'd put ITV on and he, he found it the height of bad manners that ITV would just blur out the results and he would walk around the house stamping going, they knew I was waiting for that. <laughs> they knew they were doing that. Who were they upset in doing that? It's not like I'm still not going to watch match of the day, but he, he used to get genuinely angry that he thought that, that, that ITV had genuinely tried to spoil his football fun. Oh. Well, they probably do because in that episode of the Likely Lads, when, when they get home and, and he says, "We'll put the ITV news on," and Terry says, "No, don't, don't," because you know, just when they'll, they'll lure you into a sense of security, and just when you think you've got away with it, bang, they'll give you the yeah. Reason. So obviously, you know yeah, that Likely Lads episode. It, yeah. it, it opens up with them going to get their hair cut, and obviously, yes. uh, Bobby is getting quaffed because he's he's striving. He's, he wants to be a bit upwardly mobile, so he's in the salon, and then. James Borlam as um, Terry, he goes in and he's not particularly comfortable with what he thinks is effeminate, an effeminate hair salon where he's yeah. using barbers with the condoms and the woodbine. But then, and this is the crux of the whole story, Brian Glover walks in yeah, to the salon. But Brian Glover's bald. So why yeah. is Brian Glover going in there in the first place? Well, I think, yeah. and they kind of make a joke of it, don't they? And they say something like, oh, you're just coming in for a shampoo or something. But they don't actually, yeah, they don't 
say why he was in there. Although that first scene is peppered with some very rather homophobic remarks. Oh, yeah, extremely, uh, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't get through today, but... No, yeah. you wouldn't even write it down, thankfully. No. <laughs> Keeping it, keep it 60s there, lads, with uh, with that TV show. 70s. 70s. 73, 74. I've just yeah. Googled it. I've just Googled it. December No, 70. you're looking at the likely lads, whereas we're talking about whatever happened to the likely lads uh, okay. in the 70s. Yeah, there you go. Right. There, there's my knowledge of that programme. Oh, yeah, 73 to 74. There you go. Go on, Matthew. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm like the days. Yeah. Well, we we kept it 90s for the majority of that 90s natter. So thank you very much, Paul, uh, for those subjects. I really enjoyed talking about them. If you would like us to talk about anything on this show, then do get in touch, and we'll uh, we'll get we'll get on to talking about them for you. Um, we've got a few more full-length episodes in the can coming up as well and don't forget we are going live not like Phil Schofield and Sarah Green um, for a live show at Jumpers for Goalposts in August again details are still quite early at this stage but uh, check out all the, 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 the Twitter feed for more information tickets are available we're part of a whole weekend where you can see different podcasts different speakers there's events there's merchandise there's football schools there's loads of stuff uh, we'll be part of that so yeah do check that out Jumpers for Goalposts and, and come and see us um, before we go though, um, Joe, where can people find you on the social media? Okay, uh, it's uh, I am at Joel Baby Tweet on Twitter and uh, Joel Baby Herc still on Instagram. I'm thinking about getting a new handle, but I mean, I don't know whether I'm stuck with this now. No, what for Twitter or Instagram? I just, well, I, I just write uniformity. Oh, you know, okay. it's what I always preach to people when yeah. I'm going about telling them about social media, and then I can't do it myself. Although you know, it is because I swore at a Nazi. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, don't do that either, kids. Um, <laughs> uh, Matthew, no, you? always swear at Nazis. Yeah, always yeah. swear at Nazis. Yeah, that is very true. Do the opposite, kids. Um, Matthew, where can uh, <laughs> you're, you're all uniformed? So where can people find your uniform? Yeah, talking of uniformity, at Matthew J Christ on Twitter and the same on Instagram. Where you can oh, see yeah, a rather yeah, yeah, yeah. retro-looking picture of myself. What a picture! Do check it out. Uh, find myself on both uniformed at Ashrays UK because somebody's got Ashrays on both. Uh, but more importantly, uh, follow the show at AK90s or AK90s Pod because we can't have AK90s on Instagram. I don't know. Well, I need to check that again. But that was taken. Oh, I'm breathe. Um, yeah, rate, subscribe, and share, and all that on iTunes as well. Uh, we'll be back very soon. I've been Ash Rose. He's been Joe Young. He's been Matthew Chris. This has been Alive and Kicking. Till next time. Keep it nineties. Hi, this is Elton Wellsby, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the original nineties podcast. Remember. Keep it 90s. Alive.